Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. On this episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly, cursing in professional sports is nothing new. But sometime in the last year, the NBA decided it had a big bleeping problem and started fining players for profanity like never before. SI senior writer Howard Beck joins us to discuss the league's war on an excess of expletives. And later, the Toronto Maple Leafs' Austin Matthews, a Mexican-American, became the NHL's top goal scorer this season. We have the story of his former coach, Ukrainian-born Boris Dorzhenko, who worked with Matthews and helped build hockey in Mexico. But first, When the owners of the New York Liberty chartered private flights last season for its players in violation of WNBA guidelines, it set off a heated debate about the league's rules and how women in professional sports are treated relative to their male counterparts. With a new WNBA season upon us, Howard Megdal reports on that continuing conversation about equality. It's Wednesday, May 18th. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, This is Sports Illustrated Weekly. The WNBA season recently took off, but here's who won't be taking off, at least not on a chartered plane, the New York Liberty. That team is at the center of a scandal that has reached new heights. All right, so as you may have heard, there's been some controversy surrounding the WNBA. The New York Liberty, they were fined for chartering flights to road games during the first half of the 2021 WNBA season, as well as other league rule violations. On the Friday before Labor Day of last year, the New York Liberty lost to defending WNBA champions the Seattle Storm. It was the team's sixth loss in a row. Liberty co-owners Joe and Clara Wu Sai were facing a team of exhausted, dejected players. So they decided to do something about it. The New York Liberty took their players to Napa. 
There was a wine tasting. That's Howard Megdal, a sports writer who covers the WNBA. It was just a wonderful excursion. How wonderful? The proof is in the TikTok. Liberty guard Sabrina Ionescu posted a video of herself dancing in front of a group of players. And if you look closely, you can see co-owner Clara Wu Sai among them. Smooth talking, so rocking. He's got everything that a girl's won. Ionescu captioned it with a question. Can your owners do this? The answer, no, they could not. Because no WNBA owner technically could do what the size had just done. Fly their team to a fancy resort for some R&R on the company dime. It was in violation of the collective bargaining agreement because it was a benefit greater than what was allowed. We spoke to Howard Megdal about the SI Daily cover he wrote about this trip and the ensuing scandal. It's a story of rule-breaking, but it's also the story of owners at odds with each other and the persistent gap in investment between the WNBA and the NBA. Oh yeah, and charter flights. That's a big thing here. Because beyond flying the team to Napa, the size had also chartered flights for the team to travel to multiple games during the season. And as of right now, charter flights are not permitted for travel for WNBA teams. And so the lead ultimately came to the Liberty and eventually fined them $500,000, forced them to change their representative on a board seat. And that was the biggest fine in WNBA history. In this case, you have a CBA that means that the players in the New York Liberty are supposed to be treated the same as the players on each of the 11 other WNBA teams. And so if there are these limitations on what teams can do, it's to try and have a level playing field between the 12. Yeah, so clearly there's a problem, Howard. Why can't other teams just treat their players to trips to Napa? I'm sure that they would also appreciate it. If all the owners were in favor of that, this would happen. This is not something they're going to have trouble persuading the players to go along with. It's more a question of making sure that the owners are on board. And there are some owners who could absolutely do it right now. And there are some owners who either can't or won't do it right now. And there's not enough owners on board for what would cost a significant amount of money the number that was floated by Kathy Engelbert was $20 million. Uh, you could divide that by 12 teams. You're talking about something like $1.6 million per team. Well, the salary cap right now is $1.3 million. So the economics of the league, as it exists at the moment, turned that into a big thing. Yeah, so you mentioned WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert. To be honest with you, Howard, I'm kind of surprised that the salary cap is so low. But you wrote that this isn't just about trips to Napa and charter flights and perks. It's also sort of this tug of war between multiple facets of WNBA owners. And it seems like in order to understand why all this happened, we have to understand how the ownership structure of the WNBA works. It's very complicated. For the first 25 years of the WNBA, 50% of the lead was owned by collectively the NBA owners. The other 50% split evenly among the 12 WNBA teams. There was a capital raise of $75 million that took place in the first quarter of this year. And 16%, roughly, of the league's total stake was sold to these new investors. Some of them are previous 
and current owners of the WNBA. Others are brand new people who are entering the process. So it's like Condoleezza Rice. So we're throwing around a lot of numbers and money, but you wrote that there are owners in the WNBA right now who see the league not sort of as valuable in and of itself, but more as a place to park losses from their other corporations, or even some who view it as kind of like a charity that they're involved in. They're not even looking at the league as a place to invest, but other owners, a kind of new school owner, are pushing to change that, right? No doubt about it. And, you know, even that's complicated. There are some who view it the way you've described it. There are others who are in it to grow, but are not necessarily financially capable of doing something beyond dollar in, dollar out. And so for them, you know, things like not having people in the stands for a year and a half made a huge difference on their long-term bottom line. Yeah, right. COVID had a big impact on teams, especially teams whose owners aren't as financially stable as some others. So you compare that with owners like Joe and Clara Wusai, who own the New York Liberty, who are dedicated to try and bring this to an equality of treatment between the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty. And that requires, obviously, a massive amount of investment because there is a large amount of gap that has existed for the duration of the WNBA. Right. So the idea of investing in the league to achieve equality with the NBA, that's important. And it's something I want to come back to. But first, I want to go back to Joe and Clara Wusai, the owners at the heart of this controversy with the chartered flights. The size really saw these flights as a way to invest in the team and in the league, which I get, I understand. But that's different from other owners in the league who couldn't or wouldn't handle things the same way, right? Even that is more complicated. I feel like that's the answer to every one of the questions, right? Because there are owners who are absolutely for charter flights, who were livid about the fact that the size did this secretly and unilaterally. You know, the idea that what they were doing flew in the face of the set of rules that was agreed to by all 12 owners. And so from that perspective, what they did absolutely was in part clearly coming from a desire to bring equality. But there is also a question of fairness and a question of making sure that this is a step forward that everyone agrees on collectively. I personally love that the size went rogue. I think that this is a a fantastic idea. I fully endorse it. But the rest of the league, I understand, as you said, it's an issue of fairness and equality. But the team, the Liberty, actually proposed to the WNBA Board of Governors that charter flights be the default mode of transportation for the league, right? So how did that go over? I think I already know the answer, but go ahead. So let's make it clear, because the league has, for interesting reasons, decided to push back by saying there was no official proposal. Now, of course, We never reported there was an official proposal. It was raised at a board of governors meeting, and it was essentially shouted down before it had a chance to be discussed in any kind of depth. Now, from the Leeds part, the Leeds says, well, the Liberty have not come back with any sort of official proposal since then. Of course, if you brought something up in the group of 12 and were essentially shouted down as soon as the topic came up, I can't imagine you'd want to spend much of your time trying to come up with an official proposal and waste your time doing it. Right now, I'm just hearing a lot of no from a lot of the rest of the league. I want to talk about somebody with you who's trying to push that. WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert has tried to transform the league by raising the minimum salary and increasing the salary cap and driving up viewership and really trying to create ways to pour money into the WNBA. So how has that worked out for her so far and what has her stewardship of the league been like? 
It's very hard to argue that Kathy is anything less than the most successful commissioner in the history of the WNBA. She comes in July 2019. She's got to negotiate a new CBA with the players. It was a very significant change. The max salary, for instance, went from 119.5 to 215 overnight when that CBA was signed. So a lot of changes happened. We're so thrilled to announce the WNBA and the Players Association led by NECA. We've announced a long-term collective bargaining agreement that we've agreed to eight years. We came together, we collaborated, and we have what we think is a groundbreaking agreement that's going to support these players for the long term and the next generation of players. It's going to include a tripling of the top players' pay. Tripling. <laughs> over half a million dollars and we're also going to be providing a platform around health and wellness and really what redefining what it means to be a professional women's athlete a mom uh, you know we have so we have entrepreneurs in the league it's just really going to be a great platform for us to drive now you're ready to really hit the accelerator and then i don't know if you had heard but there was a thing uh covid and so that created a bit of a problem for the next couple of years and you're navigating and the WNBA has these existential crises that they're trying to deal with in terms of finances, in terms of health and safety, you name it. Where we're really going to get a sense of what Kathy Engelbert's tenure means is over the next couple of years in two ways. One, in terms of what this new investment does to professionalize things. You know, there are ways large and small that's going to matter. Basics like being able to get WNBA merchandise has been a near impossibility for years and years. This is a very sore subject for WNBA fans. Lead pass doesn't work more often than it works. This money is supposed to go to make it better, more professional, and we'll see whether that works or not. And then in a couple of years, you're going to have a media rights deal come up as the deal that was signed with ESPN in the middle of the last decade is something that might as well have been signed in the you know, Paleolithic age. Even at 42% of the revenue coming in, that's going to be a number that should mean a dramatically different from, among other things, salary cap if the players are getting anything approaching fair market value. The underlying component for all of this to me, feels like the idea of equity for female athletes, right? That it's not just about charter flights. It's not just about equal pay. It's all of these things together being a symbol of professionalism and of status and a sign that the female players matter just as much as the male players in the NBA, right? That equity is really a driving force here when we're talking about all of these different factors. So there's two parts to it, right? There's the moral component, and then there's the economic component. And those who have tried to keep women's sports down have tried to argue that these two are at odds. They're not. The moral component, like you said, is very clear and is very obvious. The economic component is not, well, unfortunately, these are not money-making sports, or unfortunately, people aren't looking to watch them. What we're finding again and again and again is that with proper investment, Women's sports can absolutely be the money-making machine that men's sports is. We see it whenever women's sports is given the opportunity. We see it, for instance, in the U.S. women's national team in soccer. Uh, you know, the way in which that came about, uh, the modern era, every time we have seen proper media coverage given to the U.S. women's national team. We saw it in 99, and there was a huge boom that followed. We saw it in 2015. And so it goes back to 
this sort of outdated notion, right? There's this Venn diagram that so many people put forward. You know, oh, there are these people who will only watch men's sports, and there are some people who will watch men's and women's sports. And that's the only part of the diagram. And they don't see, they don't turn their head this way, right? To say, oh, there's a large group of people that will only watch women's sports. That's part of the equation too. And if you're trying to figure out why women's sports valuations keep going up the way they have at the team level, and why people are watching, and why those audiences went up even in the midst of of a time that sports audiences are going down across men's sports. This is the reason why. Howard, you make a very convincing case. I say send them all to Napa. They have earned it. And we will send the charter flight for you for the next interview. Howard, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. After a break, profanity in the end bleepin' A. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Just a quick heads up that this next story is about a lot of cursing in the NBA. So as we talk about the NBA, you're about to hear a lot of cursing. Howard Beck, welcome back to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Good to be back. Thank you. All right. So I saw this story and I couldn't wait to discuss it with you because I love the NBA And I'm not going to say that I love cursing, but I am a devoted practitioner of profanity. And apparently that's also true for much of the NBA. The NBA evidently deemed cursing a problem at some point in this last year. Tell us about what happened and why you wanted to write about this. Well, I am a big fan of cursing and of (laughs) F-bombs, as I was using before we actually started rolling on this. Can I curse on our SI Weekly podcast or will I be censored by our bosses? 
Well, you know, normally we don't, but because SI made an exception for the written piece, I expect because of the subject matter now and a companion audio piece that we'll make an exception here. I mean, I feel pressure now almost to live up to my reputation, having jammed like 50 F-bombs into the story itself written in full. I almost feel like I have to say fuck a few times. I think I did have the unofficial record on Zach Lowe's podcast at one point, of which they beeped me quite a bit. Um, You're a Hall of Fame cursor. My mom, I'm sure, is not pleased with this at all. Yeah, my mom too. So the fact is, you know, (laughs) sports involves cursing, right? Literal locker room language is guys saying fuck or shit and various other things and various combinations thereof. We expect that. The NBA expects that. They don't expect a league full of choir boys, so to speak. However, they would prefer that those words, that kind of language, remain offline, off camera, out of print, basically anywhere that the public might consume it, see it, hear it, read it. The NBA would prefer not to project that image by its players. What they saw during the pandemic years in particular, and I didn't include this little wrinkle, but you and I are doing this via Zoom. And Zoom Mm. became the default method for press conferences and interviews over the last couple of years. And you're disconnected from your audience. And it this is, you know, kind of amateur psychologist play here, but I think the league felt like Zoom made guys let their guard down a little bit. They started getting more relaxed. They started feeling free to curse more often than they normally would in, say, a press conference setting with 50 people in the room and you can actually see the cameras and the people. So it eroded. But other things were eroding too. Respect for the game rules, which is what players are saying to the refs and to each other and hand gestures and air punches and all that. That was starting to erode over the last couple of years during the pandemic too, especially with no fans in the building. So what the NBA decided they wanted to do was, as they called it, a recentering. It's a very NBA corporate word to use. They wanted yeah. to have a recentering of, of all of their decorum. Respect for the game rules, respect for the refs, respect for everything. And that included, hey guys, um, maybe don't drop F-bombs when you're speaking to the media, especially in press conferences. They'll let a lot of other stuff go in terms of discipline and fining. If a guy says shit, if a guy says ass, if a guy, you know. <laughs> All of a sudden, this is George Carlin's seven words you can't say. This is fantastic. I looked up George Carlin's seven words because I was going to reference it in the story. And then I realized that some of those words are words that I don't want to use either, actually. They're beyond even me. Words that I stopped using probably, I hope, when I was maybe 16. They called them bad, in poor taste, unseemly, street talk, gutter talk, locker room language. So... Yeah, those words, a lot of Carlin's list would get you fined too. But the one that was being used the most often, the most freely, that was the most problematic for the NBA was variations on the F word, as we call it. Not surprising. And I I realize and I understand that the NBA is a business and they want to keep this about business and keep the money flowing. I, I get that part. Methinks, Howard, that them trying to legislate cursing out of the game will not go well. You wrote about that, and we're going to get to that in a second. But I want to run through some of the more egregious offenders that you outlined in your piece who really got some bang for their buck. Uh, We're going to start with Knicks forward Julius Randle, who two years ago, excellent season. This past year, not so excellent, a little frustrated. He was fined $25,000 for not once but twice telling his critics to shut the fuck up. Yeah, and that one, when he got fined, my reaction at the time, John, was, huh, I don't think I remember a guy getting fined for 
cursing like this before unless it was on live TV. Way back when, when I was covering the Lakers and Shaq did it, literally as he was coming off the court, it was one of those on-the-court interviews. Well, that's an FCC issue, right? Randall was just saying this in a press conference. A lot of, and these press conferences now, like MSG Network, that's cable. You're not subject to the FCC rules there. Right. A lot of other ways in which these guys can curse now and are not strictly by law a problem. Back in the day, if the NBA fined you, it was because they themselves could be in trouble with the federal government for allowing profanity in primetime on over the air television. So I, when it happened with Randall, I went, huh, well, that's interesting. And then a week later, I think literally a week, Kevin Durant got rung up. Kevin Durant got fined 15000 for calling the schedule fucked up. Yes. So suddenly I'm like, well, this is interesting. This is a pattern emerging. And I think I might've texted NBA PR at the time and gone, hey, guys, what's going on? And then I kind of let it go because there were only a couple of these. You need at least three things to make a trend in our industry, right? Yeah. But it was in the back of my mind. And then Pat Beverly got rung up in the playoffs. Pat Beverly got rung up in the playoffs. I'm glad you brought that one up. He, he was fined 30K for a one-two punch. After the Wolves made the playoffs, he said, I fucking told you all, which he was happy and excited about. I told you he was going to the playoffs. Everybody, mostly all y'all looked at me like I was crazy. When I first said that, I fucking told y'all. And then he went on Instagram and told his old team, the Clippers, to get the fuck out of here, which I thought was poetic. Weak ass Clippers. Beat they motherfucking ass. Fuck out of here. Fuck out of here. But the league evidently deemed that inappropriate and egregious. Inappropriate and egregious. I love the ones that are egregious. All of them are inappropriate as far as Lee's concerned. If you say it twice, now it's egregious and the fine is increasing. They can fine 10, 15, 20, anything up to 50,000 under their labor agreement. 50 is the cap, but it goes up if you are a repeat offender or if you are doing the egregious thing where you've just spat out a bunch of them in a row. And one more that you listed, and this might be my favorite one because of your writerly flourish. Jazz center Rudy Gobert was fined $25,000 for a live TV interview hit where he said, fuck the talk. Uh, fuck the talk. We just try to be the best team we can be. We try to enjoy the moment. And whatever happens, happens. And you replied, you know, that the league was in no mood to pardon his French, which I thought was just brilliant. <laughs> it's, it hit me as I was writing the sentence. And then I thought, somebody must have made this joke already, right? And I, <laughs> I didn't really look around that much, but I hadn't heard it. So, um, yeah. And, and now Rudy's was, on, I believe, on live TV. Again, might have been live cable TV and not over the air TV. So those are the four. Those four combined, those four players combined... $95,000, not a huge sum of money for NBA players, but that is the most NBA players have been fined combined in a single season, probably ever, at least in the 20 years of records that the NBA was able to provide me. And given that I don't think this was a routine thing back in the day, and because salaries were less back in the day, I'm going to just say on this program, which I did not say in the story, that's probably the most ever in a single year for players being fined for profanity. And it's the most offenses that were flagged because it was four guys who were fined. There are at least somewhere in the teens of guys who have been warned and possibly even fined privately. The NBA says they don't announce all these. And that is the crackdown. A bunch of guys have been either told or fined or both this season. Knock that shit off, basically. Now, listen, I understand that it's the most for these types of violations, but it's still only, not even to your accounting, $100,000, which 
even the poorest NBA player is pretty well off. I know that $15,000 is still $15,000, but I'm pretty sure KD can afford it. Julius Randle can afford his 25K. I'm wondering if these fines are having any impact at all. And also, who's in charge of levying the fines and coming up with the amount? Yeah, so the players can clearly afford it, and I don't think it's a great disincentive, right? Now, guys, even making 20 or 30 million, guys making as little, quote unquote, little as 5 million, 15 or $20,000 is still real money. And if you ask players, if you ask anybody who has a lot of money, if they just want to throw away 20,000, they'll still say like, no, it still hurts. It still bothers them. Does it bother them enough to change the behavior? I think it's more the emphasis and the messaging that will probably change it. If this is going to work at all, if players are going to stop feeling so free to drop F-bombs and other assorted bombs in press conferences or in interviews with print reporters, I think they'll do it just because they know it's an important messaging thing by the NBA and because they're partners, right? They get 50%, the players do, of every basketball-related dollar that the league generates. And because of that, because they are business partners and they understand there's an image the league is trying to uphold, they may decide, you know what, it's not so much the fine, it's that I, I want to do right by the team, by the league and everything. I think it may actually work. Now, the linguistic experts that I spoke to for the story, a couple of professors of linguistics who have written books about the F word and profanity say, eh, this shit ain't going to work and it's not even worth attempting. Uh, to the question of, of who decides, so the league has the basketball operations group headed by Byron Spruill at the moment. Joe Dumars, of course, now joining that group in the role that was previously held by Kiki Vandeway. They are the ones who adjudicate everything, right? Upgrading mm -hmm. or downgrading fouls to flagrants or non, reviewing techs and deciding, oh, we're going to rescind this tech or we're going to give this tech after the fact, whatever. The basketball ops group at Olympic Tower NBA headquarters, that's who does this. So it's Byron Spruill and his staff, soon to be with Joe Dumars as well. And then if necessary, they sometimes will take this stuff to Commissioner Adam Silver and say, look, we want to ding this guy 50K. <laughs> what do you think? And Adam will say whatever he says. I would imagine, as the commissioner of the NBA, that Adam Silver has bigger things to worry about than this, <laughs> but somebody has to be in charge of it, yes. evidently. Does Byron like this component of his job? That's a good question. You know, I was on the, I did a Zoom call with Byron and a couple of other NBA officials uh, who will remain anonymous, but <laughs> I got the sense that Byron doesn't necessarily like this aspect of the job. I certainly got the sense that he didn't like me asking so much about it. I don't, I don't think this was his favorite discussion. Listen, you can tell by the way I have written the story and by the way I'm speaking about it here and how freely I will invoke the F word. I think it's silly. I think it's pointless. I, you know, like I have a bias on this, which is that I don't fucking care if players swear. And I don't think they're saving anybody from anything. So I wanted to do this story semi-tongue-in-cheek because I think it's amusing and interesting. I don't think the league considers it amusing. They consider this serious. Now, is there somebody in particular in league ops who is particularly prudish or Pollyannish? And Byron stipulated at least three times, I'm not trying to be Pollyannish, but yeah, but you, you kind of are. Um, right. So I asked him at one point, like, whose sensitivities did this trigger over the last couple of years? Who all of a sudden decided we need a crackdown on the F word? This is too much. And it was some combination of, uh, you know, competition committee, board of governors, some owners, some executives, us in, in league ops. So I don't know that it's any one person. I would love to know. I At one point when they made one of the, uh, issued one of these fines, I responded on Twitter with a gif of the church lady from Saturday Night mm, yeah. Live. 
And who could have led us into that chasm, Jimmy? Who was behind the wheel of our Lincoln Town car when we drove into the Crazy 8 Motel? Who could it be? Who could it be? I just can't imagine who. Could it be Satan? Because that's kind of the... <laughs> the way I see it. I don't it know. Is. I don't know who the church lady of Olympic Tower is. I hope to someday get to the bottom of it. So the league has decided to go in this direction. You and I are laughing about it. We find it silly and also kind of pointless. The players are getting fined, as you mentioned, and even though they are all very wealthy and well off, as you mentioned, fifteen thousand dollars or more is still real money. Do the players find it silly? Are they laughing at this? So I spoke to Draymond Green and Andre Godala, both with the Warriors, because I was spending some time around that team anyway. And Draymond, of course, is somebody who, as outspoken as he is and as willing to say anything as he is, I figured had some thoughts. And Andre Godala, not only a longtime veteran, but he is the first vice president for the Players Union. They both kind of express this mixed feeling of like, listen, the league should not be telling us necessarily what to say or how to express ourselves, but... I understand, both of them said, I understand why this might be a concern to them. I understand why they might find a guy. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I kind of get it. And that's because these guys, they're, look, they're smart, they're businessmen themselves, and they get that there is something at stake here for the league in theory. But I would just say this to anybody who thinks that this is a serious concern. Where were the complaints, right? Like, was Olympic Tower being flooded with calls the day after Julius Randle dropped the F-bomb twice? Did Rudy Gobert saying, fuck the talk, all of a sudden cause State Farm to threaten to withdraw their massive sponsorship of having 98% of all NBA commercials, I believe? I don't think that was happening, John. And so to me, two things. I don't think there's any real harm. And again, the sociologists and linguists would tell you that there is no harm to children or anybody else. And I don't think there was any business harm to them that we know of. Yeah, solving for a problem that didn't really seem like much of one. And as you mentioned, there are the academics you talked to that said that people have been trying to get rid of profanity for hundreds of years, and it hasn't worked, and I don't think it'll work here. But it did make for a great story. You can read that excellent R-rated piece on <laughs> SI.com, which we will link to in our show notes. You should also listen to him on the crossover. It's stuff like this that makes him the best in the motherfucking business. <laughs> Howard Beck, thanks for this. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. After a break, tales of a Ukrainian hockey coach in Mexico. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Snakes, zombies, sharks... 
heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. With the Toronto Maple Leafs out of the playoffs again, let's take a moment to appreciate the ridiculous season that Austin Matthews just had. Here's Matthews to the attack. Wraparound. Scores! There's number 200 and number one of the year. Kept in by Matthews. Here it is. Scores! There's a new member of the 60-goal club. Is the first leaf ever to go zero to sixty in a single season? Yeah, pretty special, honestly. You know, reception from my teammates, the crowd—I mean, everything—it just, uh, you know, it just kind of sends chills down your bones. For any player to score sixty goals and lead the NHL in scoring is a massive achievement. But for a Mexican American kid born in California and raised in Arizona, it's totally unique an utterly modern story of hockey taking root in the Southwest. And one of the central characters in that tale is a Ukrainian Mexican hockey coach that you just have to meet. He's a one of a kind named Boris Dorozhenko. Here's our senior producer, Dan Bloom, with Boris. What's the temperature? Here right now? Yeah. 90. Nice. (laughs) Are you used to it? You didn't grow up in 90 degree weather. Not really. My name is Boris Dorozhenko. Developed the hockey players from youth to professional. Living in Scottsdale, Arizona now. And originally I'm from Kiev, Ukraine. I was born in Soviet Union. We live by a big stadium. In the winter time, they put outdoor rink and I was really impressed of the sticks, hockey sticks, hockey gear. And a major impression was from the goaltender equipment. And I feel like I want to try. So you were playing for a club where? I played in a club in Kiev, Sokol Kiev. It was a pretty famous hockey club and produced a lot of talents. This is towards the end of the Soviet Union. It's like you knew that something was wrong with the USSR, right? Yeah, absolutely. When all economic relations start to fall apart there, I was playing pretty competitive hockey but payments for the hockey player was not really nothing. We were like waiting for our salaries for, for six months. And the last years of Soviet Union was terrible. Nobody get the payments and many cancellation games. And it was terrible. So I took a decision to move. I get an opportunity to move to Mexico and build the hockey there. You get off the plane from Kiev. Yeah. You don't speak any Spanish? No. How do you start to get along in Mexico not speaking the language? 
Adios, tequila, and sombrero. That's three words I knew when I get there. And the same time, I didn't speak any English. So I didn't speak any Spanish. I didn't speak any English. And it was really hard. When I started working in Mexico, Federation of Ice Hockey was really small, like 30 players in the whole country. But I was impressed with ice rink there, how professional it was. So having that nice rink, you have no hockey players. But we changed a little bit this story. For those of us, myself included, who have never heard hockey coached in Spanish, what would it sound like? Pretend that you're coaching me and you want me to skate harder. What would you tell me? In Spanish? Yeah. Coach me up. Well, I can say, andale, andale. <laughs> no, but what would you say? Like, how do you say skate? I don't even know how to say skate in Spanish. Uh, patinar. Patinar, okay, so... You're saying, like, tú tienes patinar más rápido. Y echa ganas, y dale, dale, dale. Andale, andale, andale. <laughs> it's a big mark on my life from Mexican culture, because I'm fluent, I'm, I have a citizenship of Mexico, so I... I'm not born there, but I I get the citizenship. For many years, I lived there. Yeah. And I feel like a part of, of Mexican culture. So you feel that Mexico has given a lot to you, and you have also given a lot to Mexico. You built up the national team program. You said there were 30 youth players in the whole country, and that was it. So tell me about the growth that took place while you were leading the program. We make a strategy there. We start to involve the high schools in the program. And we start to make them a games and invite mariachis. The stairs were full of schools, like 2,000 people on the stairs. Mariachi playing between face-off and face-off. Yeah, and it was, it was incredible. And then more schools and more kids start to be involved. And they start to play internationally too, like tournaments. So you start taking the teams out on tournaments and you go to Phoenix. Yep. And the team basically exceeded the expectations of the other people who were at these tournaments. Can you describe what that was like? I remember the first phone calls I did with some hockey directors. Oh yeah, we definitely need some team to come and play with us. And then ask me, where are you from? I said, I'm from Mexico. They asked me, New Mexico? And I said, no, Mexico. They say, New Mexico. I said, no, Mexico. When we get here and they start to play, the people were really surprised. We beat team from Canada and Quebec in the first game of the tournament. And everybody shut the mouth really quick. <laughs> Arizona team did well. Like, everybody were like, wow, these kids can skate really well. Like, really, really doing something. And this impresses people. Yeah. This gets your name on the radar of people when you bring these teams around. Yeah. How do you get the invitation to come and do the guest coaching in Arizona? One of the coaches who worked with me in uh, Mexico, he moved back to Arizona. So he was in touch with the people in Arizona who play games against us. And they mentioned to him, like, we'll be good to have Boris come over and do, like, master class for a week or so. And we did it the first time. I remember like probably like five or six days. And that's exactly when Austin Matches showed the face there when he was six years old. Six years old. 
Could you tell right away that this was a special kid? It was a special kid because he was with fire in the eyes, definitely. With no much skill in this time, he was okay. But six years old, he's just beginner. Like, you can say, you just feel his fire in his eyes. They asked me right away, his grandfather and father saying, like, are you coming next year? I said, yeah, I do, if you invite me. They said, okay, let's do it. And next year, I start preparing this trip for a little bit longer, for two weeks. And then we start the conversation after second year when to my move to U.S. So it was Austin Matthews' parents, Emma and Brian, who were the spearheads to say, wait a minute, we can't just have you once a year. We got to have you here year round, right? Exactly. It was the conversation. We need you longer times. We need you all year round here. It was long, long, long relationship on the ice with Austin. Like we started six years old and finished like officially we're not finished yet. But when you, you did the big star of the league and you a coach who teach this star in a young age, like, what you can teach you more, like you're saying, you can teach me now. The transformation of Austin during the playing National Hockey League, he's not the same Austin. Now he is much more mature and much more stronger and much more skilled, even more. His skill never stops. He knows how to build it more and more every day. With Matthews, Gardner jumping in. Austin Matthews, in shoots, Sixty goals, led the league in scoring. Yeah, that's incredible. You knew this kid from six years old, and now he's literally the best goal scorer in the league. Yeah, probably in the world. <laughs> it's the best scorer in the world, definitely. Emma Matthews was born in Mexico. Yeah. Do you take some special pride in knowing that you've helped a player with Mexican background make it to the league and succeed so much? Definitely. I, I still have a lot of people in Mexico who big fan, fan club of Austin Matthews and they know he is Austin Matthews Martinez because his last name by mom is Martinez and he know how to speak Spanish. And special pride, definitely. And Austin knows his roots. He really likes Mexico. He really likes Mexican culture. What did it feel like to watch him make the league? I was really impressed. I feel like on the sky of, of happiness. I remember the first day of the draft when he was picked first overall. I remember I was on the ice and somebody told me, you don't know what you did. You did history like for Arizona. For, like, I said, I, I didn't feel that. I was just feeling happy about Austin. I, when I watched his first game, we were in uh, Hawaii with my wife and my son. Sitting in some restaurant and the game started, I put it on iPod and Austin scored first goal. And my son said, Austin scored the goal. I said, wow, cool. First game in National Hockey League scored the first goal. And then he scored the second goal. I said, Austin scored another goal. I said, okay, now I need to watch it more carefully. And I started to watch it and I told my son like, oh, if Austin starts scoring, he can score even four or five. And then he scored four, and my son said, how do you know that? I said, because I know Austin for many years. He has no limits. He has a desire to score always, everywhere, and that's inside of him. It is part of his personality. He competes with himself all the time. (laughs) 
we have a cruise uh, ship there waiting for us. And I remember it was raining. And I'm walking with an iPad watching the game and my wife behind me with an umbrella. It's funny. That's a great memory. You're born in Kiev. Yeah. And grew up there. And you still have family there. Yeah. So obviously we're having this conversation during a tragic time for your homeland. And I just wanted to know what thoughts you have about what's going on. Well, it's definitely very hard for me. I was in shock when everything happened. It was hard for me to sleep, to eat, to talk. But now I realize this is reality. and We need to be strong and we need to fight this aggression. We're talking about the military aggression of Russia against Ukraine. It's no question about this. It's not fair war. It's not fair for kids and families and my parents in Ukraine and many, many more parents and other families. I think this war needs to be stopped right away. Boris Dorozhenko is the founder and director of Next Generation Hockey. You can find more information in our show notes. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Cooper McKim, Jessica Yarmoski, and Isaac Lee, who is also our sound engineer. Our senior producer is Dan Bloom. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Thanks for listening. And if you've stuck around this long, we leave you with this. And with my size, I'm 6'4", blonde guy, no English, no Spanish, moving on the oldest public transportation. People look at me like a giant, like who this dude? At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The Nikki Glaser Podcast.
podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening.